lovely lot and welcome to series five of the Independent Spouse Podcast, a podcast that shares the inspirational stories of armed forces, spouses, partners and other halves. That's right, the podcast is back and you are going to love this interview and all of the stories that will be coming up over the next few weeks. I cannot wait to share them with you. There are some really good ones. Firstly though, I need to tell you all about the wonderful Royal British Legion who are sponsoring this series. After 100 years supporting the armed forces community, the Royal British Legion understands and recognises the challenges faced by serving people and their families. That's why they're still here to help support us in any way they can. From financial support to housing advice, or just someone to chat to outside the chain of command or patch, they will continue to fight for us 365 days a year. Head to the website for more information, or to get involved with their centenary celebrations, visit www.britishlegion.org.uk. So today I've been chatting to my wonderful pal, Emma Gray. Emma and I have one of those friendships that only ever existed on Zoom. That's right, we've never met in real life. But thanks to the Millsbone Network, we have become great friends. What follows is a very personal and at points emotional conversation surrounding death and the effect that it can have on a family. Emma's husband, a Royal Marine, died of cancer while still serving. And Emma shares her journey of that time and how it has shaped her life now. Thank you, Emma, for trusting me with your story and helping me share it with our wonderful community. I really hope you enjoy the first episode of Series 5. Hello, Emma. It's so lovely to see you. It is so strange because we've known each other for like over a year and yet we have never met, which blows my mind because you're such a good pal. I've been coming to all the Millspo meetups. You've been engaging in the community. You're such an asset to Millspo. But there might be a few people out there who haven't met you. So could you do a little introduction about yourself, please? Absolutely. I have to say, I do find this online thing amazing because I ditto feel like you're such a good pal, yet I've only really known you through Millspo and a couple of extra phone calls. So it is very strange. So I'm Emma, Emma Gray, and I used to always label myself about my career, which is really bizarre because in the military, we actually often label ourselves with a husband, but I used to be adamant that it was me. (laughs) So I used to always say I was solicitor and ironically, I work in the area of death and dying. So wills and probate, power of attorney, tax and trust and what have you. But I have given it all up. I decided just before lockdown, totally unrelated to lockdown, end of November, that I needed a break. I needed to sort out the house, spend some more time with the kids. Work didn't want me to stop anymore. And so I handed in my notice. They didn't accept it. So I went on sabbatical, but insisted on working my notice period in case I didn't go back, which I haven't. Then literally two weeks after handing in my notice and stopping, lockdown happened and I was like oh I wanted to spend quite a bit of time with my children (laughs) but this is kind of taking this (laughs) this is a lot of time with my children I then had a bit of an existential crisis in lockdown and wondered what on earth I was anymore because sadly my husband who is a marine died five years ago so I was no longer a wife um, I was no longer a lawyer wasn't a carer I was still a mum but I've always been so desperate to have something that's other than the mum I think it's very good for the kids to see you as doing something other than just being a mum and I was like so what am I so I signed on to be a trainee counsellor 
I did a first draft of a book because I'd like to share my story. And more recently, I've set up my website. So that's kind of me. Which is so lovely to hear and so exciting because I think lockdown for all of us was a bit of a moment where it was time to pivot and it was a really good time for us to have the space to decide what on earth we were doing in our lives. And for you, it's kind of become this wonderful thing that is Rainbow Hunting Moments, which is your blog online, which is where we can find you. Tell me why you decided to call it Rainbow Hunting Moments. So the story with my husband is that he was fighting fit Royal Marine, but he sadly got cancer and died at home. So he was diagnosed in 2013 in December because rubbish always seems to happen around Christmas time. And in 2014, he was given lots of chemotherapy, but we knew that it was terminal from day one. They said that the best we could expect was for them to stop the cancer because it was so aggressive and it was so nasty. It was a primary tumor was in this esophagus, but people often think throat when they think esophagus, but actually his primary tumor was down where his esophagus meets his stomach and it really affected his swallowing. So we often knew before the doctors when it was getting worse and when it was getting better and the chemotherapy, actually, he started to be able to eat a bit better. And they then said that actually not only had it stopped it, but it was shrinking it back. So he was always going to live with cancer, but to the outside world he was getting better and in 2014 I was up in Scotland at a wedding which he felt too poorly to go to but was one of my great pals from when I was younger and one of my friends her husband also couldn't attend he's actually also ex-military and uh, so we were each other's date for the wedding and she was driving me I can remember it so clearly between St Andrews and where the bit after the wedding was all going to take place she was asking me about Simon and asking me how he was and what school was and all the rest of it. And I told her and because he'd started to look a bit better from the outside. Everyone else thought that he was on the mend. And she was like, gosh, um, this is like huge. And I was like, oh, yeah. So in a very Emma way, kind of like as long as I'm not killed on the M5, he's going to die before me and relatively soon and she was driving and she was like oh my gosh this is just huge how do you keep it going and it's a little bit naff but that's where the whole rainbow hunting thing started because I said you know what like living with someone who's got cancer is a little bit like the weather in some respects so some days the clouds are so dark and so miserable and you get so cold and so wet and so fed up and all the rest of it but actually you've just got to trust the process because at some point the sun will come out and actually the sun and the stars are always still there you might not be able to see them but they are still there and you've got to not lose hope and go searching for rainbows and so that's where my rainbow hunting started and I had no idea it would really end up quite like it has been today I did kind of feel like it had kept me going so much that maybe it might be of help to other people but I never quite realized and it wasn't until after he died that with my Instagram account I was in a really really bad place after he died about two years after he died I was trying to keep the old world going but in a new world which was totally different from the old world and I was just miserable and I had some days where they were really really dark days and I felt like I was wading through treacle and just doing anything was a struggle and it was really really hard and so what I started to do was on my Instagram, I started to take pictures. I called it rainbow hunting moments. I started to take pictures of just little things that would make me happy. So a bunch of flowers or the fact that I'd actually drunk a cup of tea while it was still warm or like the smallest little things. And then before I realised, I was actually looking and without thinking, finding little happy moments 
And so that's where it all started. And I love that. It's such a positive, happy thing for me. So this year, for the first time in my life, I've experienced proper grief, which holy moly, that's a bit intense, isn't it? I mean, I guess everybody experiences it differently, but it completely crushed me and completely blindsided me. And it's just all encompassing. And I have struggled. I mean, I don't know whether it's lockdown or whether it's a grisly winter, but looking outside and trying to find joy in a kind of crummy magnolia married quarter in another rainy day after another. I don't know how I could do that. And I am so impressed that you've managed to do that. How on earth, when life is just a grey, miserable day, do you go out there and find those rainbow days? So I think that part of it has been for the children and for me being a role model for other people. So two things, really, because one is the kids. In my worst days, I knew that they had to have three meals on the table. They had to go to school. They had to keep moving. And actually, things like school and work became such important handrails. Like some people wouldn't be able to throw themselves into work. And actually, I had a massive gap off work. I'm in about six months or so off work because I worked in death and dying. It would have been quite emotional to go back into it. And it was emotional when I started doing it again properly. That was quite emotional. And I did occasionally... I became a bit of an expert in people who had cancer and terminal illnesses of a young age. And I did occasionally have things that were very similar to what we've lived through. And because I got to associate level, I was able to just turn to my secretary and go, you know what, that was quite hardcore. I need to take an early lunch. And I'd go to the local Costa and treat myself to a massive hot chocolate and a millionaire shortbread. And that would be the like, come on, Emma, put your man pants on. Let's just keep going with this. But the other thing that's been a huge help to me, and I think this is where my husband asking me to marry him is probably going to be the most crucial moment of my whole entire life because it was such a privilege to have him in my life even though it was for such a short period of time he was totally inspirational and I sometimes hear his voice it makes me feel quite emotional talking about it but I sometimes feel his voice in my children it's just so commonsensical it's not as dizzy and as crazy as me at all it's far more down to earth and he left me a letter he left quite a lot of letters but in his letter to me which I opened the night that he died crumpled on the floor with the dogs reading it twice to actually make sure I really realized what it was all about but one of the things he said in there that has never left me he said, it's going to be huge. It's going to be absolutely massive when I'm not here anymore. But the trick with things that are really huge is to not look at the big picture and just break them down into small things. And I will never, ever, ever forget. I had one day where I was really struggling and I'd done everything I possibly could to get the kids into bed and all the rest of it. And I went downstairs into the kitchen and it was like a bomb site. I hadn't done any tidying up. The kitchen table was covered in dirty dishes. The sink was covered in the pans and the pots. The school bags were all over the place. There was chaos everywhere. And I just heard Simon's voices. And I looked at an old settle seat that was in the corner of the kitchen with the school bags. And I thought, that's where I need to start. Even if I do nothing else, I've just got to get school bags ready for the morning. And then as soon as I'd done the school bags, I was like, you know what? I could do another small thing. I can clear the table so then we can have breakfast in the morning. And by the time I'd finished the little jobs, I'd actually done the washing up and the kitchen was relatively straight and it was okay and I could go to bed. But sometimes if you look at the whole picture, 
it will just be so overwhelming and you just got to break it down and think what has to be done in order for tomorrow to happen and that's kind of what kept me going. Gosh, so we've talked about Simon because we talk a lot online and he sounds completely epic. And I think you should spend a little bit of time talking about him because he was Marine and that's what your connection is to the military community. And I think that's really important. And I want to know a little bit about your military life while Simon was still here and what it's like being a Marine wife. I quite like being a Marine wife because a lot of their spouses were quite fun and funky and a little bit the marines are a bit mad and i love them for it i don't mean mad in a negative way i mean mad as in they have some fabulous very impressive hobbies and all the rest of it and there was a bit of a joke that we had about having all the gear and no idea but you know simon would get into skiing and suddenly he'd have his own skis and new kit and all the rest of it he'd then get into diving and he'd have his own gear for that and and he was massively into cycling so we always had a joke in our house that the perfect number of bikes is what you've got plus one because you're never satisfied and so we always had loads of bikes in the garage and I was a bit of a bike princess because he would get my bike ready and pump up the wheels and all the rest of it and I hadn't realized how important that was until he was no longer here anymore and all of a sudden I was like oh wheels are flat I don't actually know how to pump up the wheels because I'm such a princess when it comes to crazy activities like this but he knew that if he made it as easy as possible for me I would go along with the crazy activities and I'd keep him company but if he made it difficult for me there was no way I was going to join him so he was a bit of an adrenaline junkie and he really liked travel so we went to some amazing places together but he did the same as everybody else you know he did tour in Afghan he did lots of stuff in the Middle East Um, we had six houses in six years because we made the decision that although I was a lawyer and my income was quite useful his career was the one that was going places so I think that we're one of the unusual ones because just after we had our second child who we've only got two and just after we had the younger one we went on a date night and being a marine he made me walk to the pub because then we could drink and we yomp back and not need to worry about sobering up because we'd sober up on the way home and I took a notepad this is where I think he was slightly unusual Marine because he was quite good at being practical what he wanted to do on our first date night as you do is to make a plan about our future and so we first of all laid on this timeline where we thought the children would need some stability so for example when they were going to change schools and that kind of thing And then we layered on top of that, if his career was going to go places where he thought that he could do the cheeky jobs where he'd be away a lot and we wouldn't see him and where he could do jobs at home, where he could help out in providing a bit more stability for the kids. And then, of course, because he was cheeky and he wanted to live a life of luxury at some point in the future and just travel and go on crazy things and not work. He worked out where he wanted me to start being a partner and working really, really hard so that he could live a life of luxury as a retired Royal Marine and I could keep the family going (laughs) but sadly we barely started on our timeline so gosh I mean because we do that in our family you know like military life is all up in the air and it's like where are we going to be living next year where are we going to be living in 10 years and I guess even though every day we live with the reality that our partners will be deployed abroad to war zones you know every day we live with the reality that they could die because it's not really about making friends and looking after people 
and it's always at the front of your mind, but it's never really a reality. And I've spoken to a few people on the podcast whose partners have died. And the fact that this is our worst nightmares coming true and to have that future taken away from you must be awful, Emma. I, I don't know. I would struggle to find my rainbow hunting moments. It's really interesting, Jess, because I think you've hit on something so important. I actually felt really guilty after Simon died because my anxiety eventually, it took a couple of years because it's become such a bad habit, but eventually my anxiety dropped. And actually, bizarrely, my neighbour is a sweet lady who keeps an eye on the house. And uh, she said to me that she's noticed a difference in how more carefree and more relaxed I am and all the rest of it. And I suddenly realised that the reason my anxiety was high was from the moment I met him, I had a weird feeling that sadly I might lose him. You know, he loved these adrenaline sports as well as his job. And Herrick 14, the tour that he did in Afghanistan was a horrible tour. And I will never forget saying goodbye to him in the kitchen. The kids had gone to school and he asked me for a lift to the services so that he could join the transport to go off to wherever Bryce or wherever they were going to go off and head off. And he was stood in the kitchen, and I'm sure so many military wives have been there in his combat with his dog tags around his neck. And I gave him a hug and I genuinely had no idea if I was ever going to see him again. And then to get a diagnosis of cancer and for him to suddenly be ill at home, it was just so bizarre. It was just not the world that we thought we lived in at all. And I think it took quite a lot of getting used to. I think that I've been living with this anxiety and then all of a sudden... On top of that, I was living with not just anticipated grief, but I was living with anticipated trauma because in our world in the military, a death is a really brutal, horrible thing. And I couldn't get my head around how he was going to die of cancer, which I know is like a really weird question, but it really bothered me until he died, to be honest. For me, I just imagine that knock on the door for the yeah. dude in uniform that you see in the films. And then you, you go into this sort of, mode where the MOD scoop you up and sort you out hopefully and then that's it but to have something that is not how you imagined it could be so confusing so I want to ask about how the marines were with Simon's diagnosis oh do you know what marines were amazing I mean to be fair his initial diagnosis was horrendous he didn't want to know his prognosis and I googled it because I needed to know and then I was holding this horrible secret that I couldn't talk to him about because I'd googled that a his cancer was an old man's cancer so he was phenomenally unlucky to get it and b research I'd done he only had seven months and that was just rubbish like absolutely rubbish and the Marines were amazing but what was really interesting is to begin with Simon didn't want the help he kind of almost went into denial and he was like, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it all better. He was initially off on leave, sick leave for his first round of chemotherapy. And then because to the outside world, he looked like he was better. He'd been promoted just as he got poorly and he was due to do a shrimp course. And he was quite competitive. He said, I don't want to go shrimping against my peers when I'm not feeling at my best the option to do a civvy equivalent and it still counts towards your promotion courses and won't hold me back in the future and this is where he was still in denial in his head and I was a little bit like what's going on so he did this course and actually he got a scholarship for it as well so that helped the military and it was at the local university in Exeter 
And it gave him such a purpose. I mean, he already had a purpose with the children, but to do that, and then he did a dissertation, which he fiercely believed in, and he wanted to kind of, and almost being terminal made him put his real thoughts on this tricky point down on paper. And then when he was very poorly, lots of the Marines came to visit him in the hospital, and he told quite a few people about it because he was so proud of what he'd done and how potentially it could help shape the Marines in the future and what they do and all the rest of it. So work was really important for keeping him going. And the Marines really understood that and they really were fabulous with him. And then after he finished his course, they got him a job looking at future capabilities. And again, he just loved being able to give back and it really kept him going, having... And then the end came really, really quickly. So in hospice, they said to me, this one question a few people said to me, but they said he was really poorly when he got into hospice. But because we had been living with him on a daily basis, although we had slowly been watching him deteriorate, we'd lived with him and we hadn't really noticed it. And they were like, he's really sick, although he's been firing on all cylinders and yeah, starting to sleep a bit more. But otherwise, his brain was still totally and utterly there. People said to me like, how did he keep going for so long? Because he did about two and a half years, but also how did he die so quickly? And I think the answer is almost the same. It was what he wanted. He kept going because he wanted to keep going. And then he died because he never wanted to be horizontal. You know, he should have gone in a bang. He should have gone in a firefight. He should have gone in a blaze of glory. And to see him horizontal, which he was only horizontal for 24 hours, was just horrendous and that was the worst part about it I think. And the marine family because they were so supportive do you think that helped? It really helped him you know and the other thing that he was really lucky with was the banter but I have spoken to other widows who haven't had the same experience not necessarily marines and I'm not going to identify where they were because I don't think it's fair because often it's based on circumstance and just you know, what the unit's doing. And often there's a bigger picture behind it all. But I do feel very lucky that we got treated as we did get treated. But after he died, I found that hard because you go into that free fall of the funeral and the welfare officer and this and that and the other. But the problem is, is as a widow, you're not on receipt. So you're getting all this information and all this help. But I was still in shock and denial at that stage. And especially as he'd been away so much during our relationship and during our marriage and as girlfriend and boyfriend and stuff, that I'd gone into the single mum mode, which was amazing. And it enabled me to cope and I was numb so I could do the funeral and all the rest of it. But I think it delayed the grief quite a lot. So then the welfare officer goes and suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, like, so what's my link to the military now? And I think that contributed to my mini lockdown crisis was that I'd met Simon because I'd met him through a bursar who was a uni pal of mine who'd encouraged me to do office training corps and then I'd gone into the TA for a little bit myself so the military had been in my life since I was at university and suddenly it was gone and it changes overnight. So I went from wafting a married card at the gate and waltzing in and out of camp because they knew my face and they knew who I was to suddenly not having a card. And they've got to do it because I wasn't 
a wife anymore, but suddenly not having cards and being told, oh, mom, you need to park over there. Just wait a minute. Someone's got to sign you in. I need to get the little camera, search under your vehicle and all the rest of it. And suddenly you're like, wow, so where am I? And I think that's part of why I've been so involved recently in setting up a little military subgroup of the charity Widowed and Young and also why I've been so grateful to Milspo because it's given me a link back into the military. And Milspo is brilliant because it's just a part of the military that get me. I just love it. I think you're all brilliant. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Going just a little bit back because we have this, I have this real dilemma in my brain that I am a proud RAF wife, but... I would never introduce myself as that because that's a bit weird, isn't it? And yet everything really by some sort of choice is to do with the military because I live in a married quarter and my partner gets deployed abroad when he's not, you know, disappearing for days and to work and everything, you know, where we live, where our children will go to school. My rail card, all these things are dictated by his career. So it's a huge part of my life. Equally, I am an independent person. So it's got to be really confusing when that is removed as to where you fit. So how important is that military link for you? For me, it is just huge. Selfishly, I really miss the banter. And that's what I feel like I can get in Millspoon. I miss the humour and the way people talk. And I just love it. But also for the children, like, they're never going to get another dad. No matter what happens in my future, I am absolutely adamant that they have a dad and he is fabulous and he is amazing just sadly he's not here anymore and I never want them to forget what he did I can't imagine what he would have done if he wasn't in the marines like we used to sometimes joke about like you're going to be a plumber like what are you going to do because the marines were everything it's all he'd ever wanted to do he did RMR which is the Royal Marines Reserve when he was at university and since he signed up for RMR which was all a bit of a joke to be honest it was to keep someone else company but since that moment that's all he'd ever wanted to do was be in the Royal Marines so it was in my mind our future it was like our life and for the children you know to be able to go to families days and to understand about remembrance and they're always going to be important and I'm so pleased that again in lockdown talking to a RAF wife actually who you put me in contact with through Millspo so it just shows how amazing it all is she said to me but aren't your kids members of Scotty's Little Soldiers which is a charity that helps to keep the military alive for kids whose parent has died while still in service and Simon was still in service when he died but I had mistakenly thought it was for people who died in the battlefield I hadn't realized that it included RTAs, suicide, cancer, illness and what have you and actually Scotty's Little Soldiers have been amazing at keeping that military link alive for the children and I'm really grateful for them so to me the military link is really important because it's a huge part of who the children are. Yeah and also you Emma we're going to claim you for our own as well because (laughs) you're always welcome because I think like I said we're very much defined by our partner's job but equally if you want it, we will have your back and we will look after you. If you want to be part of this community, then come on in because I don't think anybody, I've got the most wonderful civilian friends, but my civilian friends are wonderful. They just don't get it. And to have that sort of unspoken understanding that we all have in this military community is really important. And it doesn't matter the, the stage of your military life you're at. I think that we can all help each other out. Do you know the other thing that suddenly comes to mind that makes me think about all of this was when I went and did that Warbridge Legion thing at the Centaur, because... 
my civilian friends gonna sound so weird but I'm hoping you'll get this but my civilian friends saw what they saw they saw Emma who looks like she scrubbed up all right laying a wreath at the center off and wow you know wasn't that pretty wasn't that lovely wasn't that amazing but it's my military friends who noticed how upset I was who understood what that day meant to me who got how important the Royal British Legion is, who got how important remembrance is, and who got that it doesn't matter what sex you are, what race you are, what religion you are. At the end of the day, a death's a death, and there shouldn't be a hierarchy. What was amazing was that morning, I feel really tearful talking about it, but that morning I was interviewed for Sky News about what the day was gonna be about. And what nobody knew, unless they read my crazy bogs, is that it was a down the line. So I had that little earpiece in my ear and I could hear what was going on and what they were talking about. I had to wait for ages. It was typical military, like hurry and wait. It's like, la, 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 all done, all done, all done. Right, okay, now wait. And there was such a wait for me to have my time to speak. So I was hearing the adverts and this, that, and the other. And at one point they must've heard me and I was trying to not chat too much to the cameraman and to the people who were around, but it was quite hard because it was a bit boring just standing there. And they must've heard me saying like, how long is it gonna be or something like that. And they said, just a couple of minutes now, going to the adverts, one story and then there's you but what really hit me was the one story that no one else could hear was Gaza was talking about how war flattens communities and you know those aren't even military deaths those are civilian deaths but at the end of the day a death is death and we remember and everyone remembers people that they love that they've lost it was such a leveler that day it was an honor it was a privilege I think the Robert Legion do amazing work but also for me personally, it meant a huge amount to be there. And it was so well done, but it was, oh gosh, so I watched it because it was live streamed on the internet because of obviously COVID, because it was the centenary of the Royal British Legion at the centre. And they had asked six very special guests to go and lay a wreath. And Emma was one of them. We were so proud of you. But oh my goodness, my nerves. I sat in bed watching it because I think it was at nine. It was nine in the morning and my heart was going for you. But then equally, I just could not, I genuinely couldn't do it. My legs would have gone because it was so momentous what you did. Mm. And I think you're so brave and fair play, Emma. I'm so proud of you, genuinely. But yes, 100 years of the Royal British Legion, which is a wonderful organisation. They obviously sponsored this podcast, thank goodness for the British Legion. And they wanted you there because you represent so many important people from this community, particularly the Millsborough community. And I think that it needs to be highlighted. That's the reason you were there. You were there to represent widows, but I saw you as there representing the families because you were the only one there that wasn't in uniform, which I think is really important to flag. I hope you know how important we felt you being there was. That's amazing. And it's, I totally get that, but it is so lovely hearing it coming from somebody else because that's what it meant to me. And that's what I mean. I think the military community just do. They just get it. I was quite nervous that I was the only person who wasn't in uniform because it meant I was in high heels. And I was there just thinking, my gosh, how does the Queen do this? She makes it look so easy. And actually, it's not that easy at all. I'm really emotional and I'm in in practical heels and I've got to bend down and look really civilised as I place this beautiful wreath 
but yeah, I did feel like I was there for military widows. And it's a really interesting distinction because the Royal British Legion was obviously looking back over 100 years, but was also looking forwards over what is hopefully going to be next 100 years and on and on. But the concept of a military widow is really fascinating because obviously, and it was one that as a lawyer, I was quite particular about because obviously initially it was a war widow. And I very much said, but I'm you know, I get a war widow's pension, some was in service when he died, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I more count myself as a military widow because he died of cancer. And it was actually a Royal Marine who, as part of the Royal Marines Association, who I've linked back into, and they've got a families branch, who I was talking to about this. And I was saying, you know, I've had this incredible invite and it's such an honour, but I'm I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious about it because of this distinction between war widow and military widow. And what is really fascinating is that actually looking forwards, thankfully, not so many people are dying in battle at the moment and long may that continue but sadly there are a lot of people dying in service from cancer rta and sadly suicide and often those can relate to their service and i think it's really important that the military is there for all of them and the royal british legion is there for all of them so i felt really honored to be there it was so wonderful Honestly, you did as good, well done. Now, I want you to pop your lawyer hat back on. Okay. For somebody like me, who, I mean, I'm not that organised. I'm very good at business. However, life admin, shocking. Honestly, me and my husband, if you could see us, you would be so disappointed in us, Emma. And recently, I've experienced death. You probably don't know, but my mum died about a month ago, which is just awful in so many ways. But the real kind of sticking point was that because she was only 65, her will was just one of those wills that you get off the internet and you sign and you sort and then you find yourself in this place where you have to organize a funeral or you have to work out if she's going to be cremated and what's going to happen and we find ourselves in this world where suddenly all these weird decisions need to be made that you never thought you would be making this early and the reality is that death comes to us all and we all kind of dodge it so I wanted to ask you with the experience that you have, what would be your number one thing for somebody like me who's not organised enough to even think about having a will? What would be the first thing to do? So I'm actually going to maybe run a crazy little challenge that I was really keen that it related to home admin, but actually I'm only going to make it about a third of it because I think it might bore people to pieces and I think they would much rather some lovely stuff at the beginning at the end and we'll do some boring paperwork in the middle but the boring paperwork is really important because as a lawyer I used to say that my mum used to say the only two certain things are death and taxes but in my career as a lawyer I know that a lot of people try to avoid paying taxes so actually the only certain thing that's coming to all of us is death and yet we don't think about it and we don't plan for it I mean you think about how much TLC goes into planning for a birth And yet the chances of that actually happening are probably pretty small, but it gives you the comfort that you know what you might expect, that you've thought about what you do and don't want and all the rest of it. So why don't we do that for death? Like, I know it's scary and I know it's a really horrible thing to do, but why don't we tell people what we want for death? And I think that COVID has brought it really to the forefront of people's minds. So the most important thing is for people to have a will, and especially if they're not supposed to be children, because there's the whole thing of who's going to look after your kids. So even if you think, oh, my God, I'm in a military quarter, I don't have very much money and all the rest of it. 
A, it's written down, so it makes it a lot easier. And B, you can sort out who's going to have kids. And sometimes I think that is the block. Actually, I think that's a little part of where I want rainbow hunting to go. You know, I'm training as counsellor and I do believe that actually the answers are inside us. And we do know the answer. Sometimes we just can't see them and we just need a different perspective to help us find them. And I'm a big believer that if you do a will, you really ought to go to a solicitor. So I'm still on the national board of solicitors for the elderly, which is a slightly funny term because it's not just the elderly. We do vulnerable adults as well. And solicitors for the elderly can help anyone of any age, but primarily where they're great at is end of life and elderly and care and that kind of stuff. And then there's another organisation called STEP and there's the Law Society and all of them have a fine day solicitor. So, I mean, even if the only thing someone does after this podcast is to go on a website and find a solicitor nearby and get a quote, that is one step further than they were yesterday. And that is one step on their way to getting a little bit more organised. If people have got businesses, I really think they should maybe think about doing a power of attorney as well, because often we think about what happens when we're going to die, but we need to think about what happens actually if we're incapacitated for a period of time, if we're in hospital for a bit. I always used to do a general power of attorney when my husband went away on operations, because it's a pretty poorly looked upon document, really, in the grand scheme of things, as a lawyer, because people much prefer to have a lasting power of attorney, which is the document that endures if you lose capacity, whereas a general power of attorney doesn't. But this is why lawyers are great, because they can hold your hand through this minefield. But I used to do it because otherwise, if BT phoned and it was in his name, nobody would talk to me. And so having him away did make us, I thought, more organised than other people. Yet when he died, there was still so much that we hadn't talked about. And it's through telling my story, I hope that I'm going to highlight some of the stuff that I wish we talked about a little bit more. Yeah, because none of us want this to happen, but let's not make it so difficult when it does happen. Yeah. yeah. And I used to often say to my clients, like, blame me, blame the solicitor. I know you're going to have to go and have a really horrible conversation, but but say, you know, the solicitor's told me I have to do this and I'll take the blame for it because I know at the end of the day that it's going to be the right thing for you to do to have this conversation. And we can do hard things. We're military partners. We send our partners to the other side of the world to get shot at. Most of us do. So, you know, an awkward conversation. You hit on one of the basics. And I think just as the absolute basic, you should know whether you want to be cremated or buried. And I know that that sounds so obvious to say it, but how many people have actually had that conversation and have actually written it down somewhere and actually have talked about it? That was the, I don't want to call it a nice thing because there was nothing nice about your husband having terminal cancer, but we did get to have some conversations that actually I realised as a military spouse we hadn't spoken about. And so we had a lot more conversations about the fact that he wanted a military burial and what that meant to him. And he actually even told me who he wanted to be, the pool bearers and all the bits and bobs. Uh, yeah, he didn't tell me one song or one hymn or one prayer. So the one song we had when he left the church was the only piece of music that he'd identified as being special to him and anything that he'd left behind. It was amazing to be able to have those conversations, but I wish we had never needed to have those conversations. I wish he was still here to help me parent. (laughs) And you're two lovely girls. In contrast with somebody who never had those conversations with my mum as her child to have to decide what is best. There's too many doubts and I can't stress enough how 
let's just have those little painful conversations and get it sorted especially yeah for children I think and what is such a painful time let's just make it a little bit easier so Emma you are so wonderfully positive I'm really aware that we've talked an awful lot about death but I think it's important and I think we should be talking about this stuff let's make it more approachable luckily your wonderful social media is very happy and positive if we wanted to find you to find out more about you or to get in touch where can we find you on social media so the best place to go to start off with is actually the website because that's got all the social media handles on it. But the website is literally www.rainbowhunting.co.uk. So really nice and easy. But I'm also on Instagram as at Rainbow Hunting Moments and I'm on LinkedIn and I have a Twitter handle, but I can't remember what it is because I don't hugely do Twitter. And I have a little Facebook business page as well. But the links to all of them are on the website. And the other thing that I've got on the website, which if you scroll about halfway down the homepage, is I've got some boxes to fill in for a newsletter because I put up new content every single month. And there's kind of three general themes to what I put up. One of the biggest compliments I've had on my Instagram is someone who said, I've never wanted to think about death and dying, but you actually put it in a way that's not so scary. And I think I could possibly manage it. So I'm hoping that the stuff that's on there makes it really easy to read, not too much legal terminology and all the rest of it. And then there's some emotional stuff. So some mental health stuff and some tips that have helped me, which is under my support blogs. And then there's some general kind of stuff I've been doing in the news and stuff like that. Perfect. And I will also add that the British Legion, they do a lot of support around wills for serving personnel. So definitely head to their website and see what they're up to. And I wanted to ask you just before we finished, the Widowed and Young group that you are setting up, the subgroup, what is it called? And can we find details about anyone? Yeah, so in order to join that, you've got to be a member of Widowed and Young. And to be a member of Widowed and Young, you've got to be 50 or under when your spouse died. And it's not military related at all. And what's really interesting is I joined it, then I let it lapse. And I now realise in hindsight that I joined it when I was still in denial and didn't like calling myself a widow. And then I've rejoined it in a place where I've kind of come to terms with being a widow and I'm happier. But I still noticed that I just, there was a bit of a misconnect on the general widowed and young Facebook page for me personally. And I realised it's because I connect more easily with military people and people who understand that world and that banter and that terminology and the kind of things that we laugh about. So I noticed that they have a lot of subgroups. I think for that reason that actually the main page might not suit everybody, but it's quite key, the peer-to-peer support for that charity. So I set up this military subgroup and it's got over 36 members now. So it's growing. It's a sad community. Nobody wants to be a member, but they're all grateful, I think, I hope, for being there. And there's just a few things that are a bit different, as well as the banter, there's the key dates like remembrance, but also there's things like pensions and life policy and charities that you can just kind of help signpost each other to a little bit more freely on that page. So you have to search for the widowed and young military subgroup. But if anyone has any problems, they can always send me an email through my website and I'll put them in the right direction. Perfect. Thank you, Emma. So this is kind of the end. But before we go, is there anything that you wanted to add or say or anything that might be useful to anybody? I don't think so. I think the big thing is a huge thank you from me to Millspo. Like, I don't think Millspo have a clue how much they 
helped me. Um, I was properly having a mini crisis when I chanced upon you. And I was trying to think about it the other day. I can't actually remember how I first clicked into Millspo, but I knew I wanted to set up a business and your monthly reviews are like gold dust to me because I would never do them without your accountability. I just love the communications that we all have and the support we all have. And yeah, just a huge thanks, Jess. You do something truly amazing that makes a life-changing difference. Oh gosh, I'm like, no, you're so welcome. I think that's the point, isn't it? That's the point of life, just to help a little bit and to make a difference. And it's wonderful to have you as a member of the community because you're an asset to us and you look after us. And you've looked after me particularly well recently. And yes, it gives back. Millspur is fab and it works both ways. And I'm so glad that you're a member. And I'm also really glad that you came to talk to us and shared your story. And I'm really honoured because it's a tough one, but you did good. And I'm glad that we get to get you having on the podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure, Jess. Thank you so much. Thank you again to the wonderful Emma for sharing her story. I think it's a poignant reminder, especially during what we've experienced over the last few years, that it's important to get organised and I would strongly recommend you spend some time picking up the tips that Emma shared. Emma and I met through the Millspo Network, a peer-to-peer support network for all military spouses, partners and other halves. We have so much fun in there and regularly run meetups online. We would love you to join us if you aren't already a member. Just search for Millspo over on Facebook and come and see what we're up to. So that's it for this week. I will of course be back next week with another inspirational episode. So make sure you hit subscribe so you can hear it first. And I will see you then.